morning, everyone. Happy Easter for those who celebrate, and happy Sunday Live Dharma for those who don't. In the scriptures of the founding master, Sote San gives this guidance on applying Ilwan Song, the Dharmakaya Buddha, in one's everyday life. He instructs, first, each time you encounter the Ilwan Song, you will take it as a Hwadu for seeing the nature and attaining Buddhahood. Second, you will take it as a model in order to keep on practicing consummately in your ordinary lives, like Ilwan Song. Third, you will take it as an object based on truth that you keep on believing in, knowing that all things in the universe have the actual authority to bestow direct blessings and harm. Those of you who have understood this truth will venerate Ilwan Song each time you encounter it, as if it were a portrait of your parents. This passage led me to some rich contemplation guided by my teachers. My first learning point was discovering what a huadu was. The term comes from the Chinese huatu, which can be translated as word head, head of speech, or the point beyond which speech exhausts itself. It is a tool to be used as a focusing point for contemplation or meditation, similar to a koan. In this way, when we become aware of meeting Ilwan Song in our daily lives, we are instructed to allow that encounter to focus our perspectives on our true nature and our path towards Buddhahood. The second instruction addresses where we can meet Ilwan Song. The founding master says that we should take it as a model to practice consummately in our day-to-day -day lives, like Ilwan Song. This informs us that Yuan Song is not only the picturesque symbol of the golden circle above our heads on the altar, but something that permeates every facet of our lives, from the mundane to the sacred. If we seek it, we can find it in everything, just as we can find opportunities to develop our practice everywhere if it is an ever-present ambition in our minds. Thirdly, the Founding Master instructs us to take Ilwan Song as an object based on truth that you keep believing in, knowing that all things in the universe have the actual authority to bestow direct blessings and harm. We can take Ilwan Song as a confirmation of our method of practice when we encounter it. We can recognize the interdependence of all things in the universe through the lens of Ilwan Song, understanding that all manifestations of this symbol are subject to cause and effect from us and upon us. This liberates us from reliance solely on faith to drive the nature of our practice. While faith is a crucial tenet to our path, we must use our observing mind to frankly assess whether our notions about the world around us, physically or spiritually, are supported by evidence. Our faith plants the mind seed to practice looking for Ilwan Song, but our encounters with Ilwan Song are the evidence we are seeking for our most fundamental beliefs. Because we can see the embodiment of our faith in the observable world, it allows us to maintain a mind of discernment and faith, rather than one without the other. These are all very important teachings, but it was the final sentence in this passage that caught my attention. Venerate Ilwan Song each time you encounter it as if it were a portrait of your parents. It feels out of place. Contextually, this passage falls among other explanations of what exactly Ilwan is, how to practice it, and how it is the same or different from the Buddha. 
It's a rather cosmic discourse, especially for a chapter on doctrine. So why, in this examination of voidness, symbology, and transformations of the ultimate, have we suddenly come back to parents? Why not venerate Ilan Song as if it were the Buddha? This was odd and fascinating to me. I was also drawn to this analogy because of my own experiences with my parents. There's a saying, you can never go home again, which describes the feeling of visiting a place with fond memories of a bygone time like a childhood home and finding that those memories cannot be relived. You can return to the physical place and even see the same people, but the childhood associations with home have changed. The place itself has changed, you and your family have grown older, and your relationships have changed. The vibrant haze of your childhood perspectives has been replaced by a different kind of understanding. I think a lot of us who visit aging parents have experienced this feeling. It's a unique kind of familiarity, one of both comfort and poignance. I love going home and experiencing the unspoken understanding between me and my parents. In adulthood, I have become more keenly aware of the influence they have had on my concepts and values. My mother is deeply affectionate. She's the kind of person that makes you feel comfortable and you feel comfortable crying in front of her. Her unshakable optimism, selflessness, and empathy have been a powerful model for my own choice and action. My father is more empirical with a staggering intellect and a dry wit. He always encourages inquisitions of one's own emotions and intentions. And I've often received transformative perspectives from him in the form of just a few carefully chosen words. As I've grown older, my parents have remained my mentors and caretakers, and the wisdom of their lived experiences has aided my own wisdom. They have also become peers in some respects. We navigate life's ups and downs with a sense of mutual support. It's unlike any other relationship in my life, and like any unique thing in my life, I appreciate its beauty with a sad awareness that it will someday end. My parents are both getting older. They are less mobile than they used to be, and they get tired sooner. Occasionally, in my visits home, I am reminded that my parents will die, likely during my lifetime. I am comforted by Dharma and the knowledge that my parents will not be annihilated by death, but still, I know that it won't be the same. I have become more aware in these visits that one day I will have only their portraits to venerate and not their personhood. One morning, a few months ago, I was really struggling to meditate. Has anyone ever felt like that? My mind was overly active with worries and I became very frustrated. A defeated thought arose. How can I hope to touch my true nature if I can't even settle my mind for 10 seconds? I reminded myself of the impartiality of true nature in that moment. It isn't something to be found, it's something that already is. True nature doesn't care if my mind is overly excited or deeply weary. It's there to come home to. Isn't that what home is? A place where you don't have to become anything or be anyone but yourself? That moment, I remember, felt like a warm hug from my mom. It felt like being a little kid, coming home giddy after a play date, or teary-eyed after a hard day at school. 
The consolation of home and of my parents was a constant in my childhood, regardless of which facet of myself was dominant that day. There's a warmth, a wisdom, and a beneficence in my memories of being a child and feeling the comfort and acceptance of my parents. Whatever has happened that day, that month, that year, in my mind, I can rest comfortably with my true nature, like a child going home. Like a child, giggling or crying, running to the arms of their parent, there need be no pretense, no explanations, just comfort. True nature, after all, is not only apparent in the metaphorical sense, but apparent in a true sense to all sentient beings. And like a parent, it is not restricted purely to the myriad forms, but remains present as forms cease. Perhaps that's why Sote San used the analogy he did. My parents are not their portrait, and Iwan Song is not my true nature. But when I venerate these representations, I am not only acknowledging what they directly symbolize, but reminding myself that there is no me without them. When my parents pass away, I will miss their form, but I will know that I am their continuation. I am another face of them, and I carry the fruits of their collective wisdom and care with me in the way I live my life and the way I will honor their memory. True nature is the same way. When I am not in samadhi, or I can't speak with a spiritual teacher for a long time, or even when I die and lose my consciousness, I will still be one of the many faces of Ilwan. The people and things that nurture us to wholeness cannot be truly destroyed or obscured. When you look mindfully, you will see them in every aspect of your life. So I now feel comforted and honored to venerate Ilwan Song as a parent. When I do this, I am reminded that I actually can go home again whenever I want to. Thank you.